Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliance on tech. So Jim, thank you for making the time uh, to be on our podcast. Uh, this is a this is a channel called Better Tech, and we invite technology leaders like yourself on this channel uh, to discuss uh, briefly about what they do, what, what do they do, where they see the technology is going, and obviously enlighten our audience about the current trends in technology. So uh, here we are. Uh, how about we started with a little bit about knowing about yourself, uh, your background, what you're, what you're doing these days, and we'll take the conversation from there. Sure. First, thanks for having me. And for those that are listening, thanks for taking the time to even consider what we have to say is important. Uh, my name is Jim Walker. I am the uh, Federal Evangelist and Public Sector CTO for UiPath, uh, an, an exceptionally fun company to work for, went public a few months ago. Uh, I've been with them now for about three years. But my background prior to that was with the uh, federal government, U.S. federal government. So I worked with the Missile Defense Agency. I worked with NASA. I worked with the Counter Drug Organization, uh, the Defense Information Systems Agency. So I've seen a lot of big, uh, shiny objects presented to me as a government person over a 32-year career. Um, and I am just really thrilled to be able to share with you uh, today why RPA and automation is more than a shiny toy. It's really a solution for governments across the world. Sounds wonderful. And, and your experience in the public sector will certainly help us really understand that. But before we jump into that, tell us more about what is this shiny tool? I mean, for people who don't know, what is RPA and what is all this automation? Certainly. So. If you do repetitive, mundane, boring work at, at your government office, that work is absolutely necessary. If I need a new passport, if I need uh, to apply for unemployment insurance, if I need um, any type of equipment in the government, there's a process that has to be followed. That process must be done, but it doesn't have to be done by a person anymore. So robotic process automation and by extension AI and machine learning and chatbots is a new category of emerging technology that I would call the digital labor. Mm -hmm. And that what we're going to be able to do is take our human workforce and augment them with digital labor and have the ability to make government better because we're going to get faster throughputs on processing. We're going to be able to approve things quicker. We're going to be able to look for fraud easier and prevent the waste of government and tax dollars. We're going to be able to get quicker responses on call centers. And we're going to be able to process your forms for anything that you're, whether it's your dog license in your city or if it's a passport with the Department of State, we can now loop humans and bots together. Mm -hmm. And the robot will emulate the work that the person's done, but not replace the work that the person's done. So it's essentially it's a digital piece of uh, writing or a software that is doing some automation rather than a physical robot. I mean, some people just confuse that. That's um, right. It is not a physical robot. It is software robot, but it's software different because somebody might be going, well, wait, Jim, you're talking about a macro. But no, I, I looked at macros 20 years ago in the federal government. I'm talking about an automation that from an auditor's perspective for any type of compliance has your credentials, if you're using what we call an attended robot, 
Or if I put a bot by itself on a server in a virtual machine, I can give it its own credentials so that it can log in and encrypt and decrypt software, has its own passwords and roles-based access so that from an audit perspective, the auditor is clear, the robot did this work, the human did this work. So the difference between an attended robot uh, an unattended robot is potentially an attended robot is somewhat like on-screen work and unattended is like behind the scenes work. Well, so they both could be beside. So yeah, say for example, that you're at a, a local county and someone comes in to apply for something and they have to check three databases. What mm -hmm. I could do is tell my digital intern, my robot, mm -hmm. go look in these three databases for this particular citizen and come back and tell me if there's any problem. Meanwhile, I'm going to talk to the citizen about the other things that I need to talk to them about that the robot can't do. Mm -hmm. And then a few minutes later, the robot returns back. It logged into those three different systems. So I have a record of it. It looked for Jim Walker in that system with the right address. And it came back and said, Jim has three cars registered, a dog registered, and he's up to date on his taxes. Mm -hmm. And so the person simply looks over and sees three green check marks and says, well, let me continue to work with you because you're eligible for this. Sure. Right? So, I mean, with uh, almost certainly with, I mean, the way we have done work with AI and machine learning, I'm sure there must be certain cases which are good or good fit for automation as compared to others. So tell us more about what an automation or RPA can do and what it cannot do. Uh, what are the best use cases or sweet spot for that? And where, I mean, and some of those cases where we feel that automation might help, but uh, there are certain limitations. Yeah, so, you know, when I say it's a shiny bullet that works, it works on the things it works for. So if I take just pure RPA, a repetitive mundane task, such as um, a travel voucher. So all employees, whether they're government employees or if they work for a company, they go on travel, they come back and they submit a form. So I could have that bot take the data off of that form, log into the SAP system and enter it into the financial system and then send it over to ServiceNow and create a ticket. Mm -hmm. And then a human could go in and do some work. So that would be the pure RPA model of taking just a repetitive task. But I'm gonna add a little layer to that now. I'm gonna say, hey, when a person submits their application or their, their travel voucher, Machine learning, I want you to figure out, did they stay at a hotel that they were authorized to stay at? And is there a problem with the hotel they're staying? So I can now incorporate not only the boring mundane task and expedite it through, but I can take advantage of the machine learning models that will scan a document for them. And so they don't have to scan it and scrape it. They can simply, hey, there's a 90% confidence that all the data is correct, keep processing. Oh, wait, it's an 89% level of confidence that it's good. It can turn it back over to the human to say, was that a letter number one or an L? And then the robot can actually help train the machine learning model so that the next time it's more efficient. Okay. But I can also have an AI over there that's looking at it from a predictive model. Are we going to stay on our budget? If we're mm -hmm. not staying on our budget, who's getting us out of budget? You know, and so anything where I have a process today where people are thinking in that, so we don't call that RPA, what we're going to call that is automation. And the okay. teaming of digital labor like chatbots and RPA and AI or machine learning and natural language processing in RPA, 
The teaming of that digital labor gives you an automation solution, and that's where we're really going to see government and private industry really accelerate into more efficient and effective organizations. Okay, so what I'm what I'm hearing is that uh, RPA gives you basic ability or, or or ability to automate repetitive mundane tasks, and with the sprinkle of uh, machine learning and AI, you can add prediction to it. You can add uh, training to that. And uh, the next time it becomes more and more efficient. Is this correct? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And what are the potential use cases where automation may not be a good fit? Well, if I've got a, um, I'm a county worker in Los Angeles County, and I have 50 cases for child welfare. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see a bot going out to a, to one of the children's homes and doing a spot inspection to make sure that that child is safe. Okay. Right. Um, we're not going to do a review of um, a, a tax assessor going out into the community, looking at homes to see if they're still of value. But what we are going to do, let's say that I am that person in Los Angeles County that has 40 cases um, for children. Today, I might spend an hour and a half to two hours behind my computer doing some of that boring, mundane work. And mm -hmm. one of those 40 children, something happens to them. Okay. And my first argument is, is I just don't have enough time. I'm overworked. I'm overburdened. I've got a case of 48. But what if I gave you back an hour, an hour and a half of your time because the robots are doing that work for you? You enter in a certain amount of information and the next thing you know, databases pull all this together for you and there's your report and it's done. Well, now you could take that hour and a half every day and on your way home, you could do a spot inspection or coming in in the morning, you could say, I don't have to be there right at eight o'clock. I can actually show up at 9.30 because my attended bot is going to be there to help me or my unattended bot is doing something for me. Now I can spend more human time doing human activities okay. and less time where I, the human, and the robot to the computer. Mm -hmm. so, so essentially what you really call is a human activities, I believe uh, are those activities where a lot of potential decision-making or analytical uh intelligence involved where you have to see various situations i mean out of these 49 children who's going to get uh based on my analytical analysis uh, analysis who's get the priority maybe that's a human decision that's not an automation decision but the rest arranging their records pulling stuff information out of various databases sorting them in a certain priority etc cetera, etc cetera. this this all can be done through automation leaving humans with more time to do effective decision making where it's needed Exactly. And, and the one key thing is we're talking about task here. I didn't say that the robot was going to go in and do all the work for that person, but the robot is going to do a task for that person. So this okay. isn't some type of thing where you could say, well, I'm, I'm afraid of robots because they're going to take my job. They're, they're not trying to take your job. They're trying to take that repetitive work off of you so that a lot of people in the audience are familiar with they put together a report. And the report comes from different departments within a company or within an agency. And by the time they get the report together, they're running down the hallway to the meeting and they present it up on a slide and, and everybody goes, okay, what's that anomaly in the upper corner up there? And that person says, well, I don't know. I just got the report put together. Okay. Well, what if we could, like the Air Force has done with aircraft maintenance down in, in um, Georgia, what if we automate what was taking the Air Force a full week and two airmen to do and do it now in the three and a half hours that it works. 
Okay. Those two airmen now have a week's worth of time, minus three hours, to go and look at a part, to go talk to a maintenance officer, to talk with pilots about how the plane was flying. And so if we can free people up from the tasks that are tied to the computer and let the computers do those, we can free people up to go out and do the things that we don't want a computer to do. So uh, you, uh, it was kind of uh, on my list to ask this question, but since you have alluded to it, so let me ask it right over here. So I was looking at one of your white papers and there was uh, uh, some heading on uh, in a margin which says that, back in 2018, Forrester predicted that by 2021, 4.3 million, uh, RPA would be doing worth of 4.3 million humans. Uh, I mean, great. Uh, are we talking about a certain number of job losses over here? Because that's the problem that people face and always thought about when robots come into the picture, when software, even computers come into the picture, that are they going to take our jobs? You alluded to that, that they're not. But I want you to, I mean, uh, shine a bit more light on that, that this is not really taking jobs away. This is making uh, work more efficient and giving more time for quality work rather than mundane work. But I want you to speak a little bit more about that. Yes, yeah, certainly. So any time in our history when technology was introduced, everyone says the same thing. When the, the spinning loom came around in France in the 1800s, it was going to devastate all of the people who were at home during the winter sewing. Yeah. And what they didn't see at the time was most people in the 1800s didn't have drapery. They didn't have pillowcases. They didn't have linens in their house because it was too hard to get. When the spinning loom came in and made it easier, we now have a clothing industry and a linen industry in the world that provides millions of jobs and, and activity. When a blacksmith out in Oklahoma in the early 1900s saw the first car drive by, surely he said, that's not gonna make it. And all the blacksmiths need a job. But you think about a town back then, they might've had two blacksmiths. I could go to the same town today and I guarantee you they got a couple auto mechanics, a couple gas stations, somebody willing to repaint your car, somebody willing to put in a new audio system for you, somebody selling your new car, and somebody buying your old car. So my, my great geek analogy is, if you've watched Star Wars or Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica, they never have a ship out there without people. Right. <laughs> and Scotty always has to push that dilithium crystal in at exactly the right time. They've never given that to a robot. Now, I get it. They've got Mr. Data and all that kind of stuff. But even <laughs> Data, Data's trying to be more human, not right. more automated. And so right. I would make the argument that we just don't see. And I, I worked for NASA, as I said before. I was great when Charlie Bowden, who was the director of NASA, was down at our center. And he said, we're going to Mars. And the great thing about working at NASA is we don't know what we need to do to go to Mars. Mm -hmm. Right? We know how to go to the moon. But we right. don't know everything we have to discover yet in order to go to Mars safely and return astronauts. We don't know what automation is going to do for us. But if you think you like having a good pillowcase and you believe you like driving to California in your car and that you like a mobile phone that's not connected to your wall in your living room, then you're gonna love automation. It will change work. 
No question about it. But let's just assume like everything else, it's going to change it for the better. No, understandable. So uh, talk to us more about that uh, when robots are working or uh, accessing various data uh, and, and are these robots deployed on-prem, they're in the cloud, somebody else orchestrate them or, or they are with you and uh, how then the security of various data, sensitive data, PII and other stuff, uh, it, it remains maintained and how how uh, government departments are sure that there are no backdoors created, there's nothing there and still it's all safe. I yeah. mean, they're not taking another headache on on uh, on them about security of data with all these bots into, into picture, which even they don't know how they're doing, how, right. they are, how they're working. Yeah, so my, my first argument is, anytime you're using robots, you're more secure. Okay. If somebody calls me up, when, when I was putting the first robot in production in, at NASA, it was also the first robot in the federal government. Mm -hmm. And we named it George Washington, okay. just for fun, right? And so mm -hmm. one day the password, because the, the bot, you want the bat, bot to be on the same processes that you're on. So the passwords expire every 90 days. George okay. Washington's bot password expired. I called the call center and said, I need to have this password reset. And they talked to me for a few minutes and then they thought it was a social engineering call. And they said, could you have Mr. Washington just come downstairs, <laughs> right? And so I knew at that moment that bots were gonna be as secure if not more because they enforced the rule for social engineering. A lot of times in government and private sector, people put their laptop in their car and they go to the stop someplace on the way home and the laptop gets stolen. Yep. The bot is never going to put itself in a car and go home. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be exposed outside the perimeter, not only the physical perimeter, but the, the perimeter of the uh, IT infrastructure. Okay. And okay. the other thing is with PII data, no matter how good people are, when they see some juicy gossip like so-and-so got a letter from a lawyer, they want to tell somebody, you know, because the best-kept secret is not told to anybody. Right. The bots will not talk to each other. You know, it's not okay. like one of the bots says, wow, did you see the debt that that guy has? So right away, I would argue you get better security. But we are seeing, in the case of ours at UiPath, you can have on-prem. We have a cloud option for you. We have a service for you. So, so those are all in, in the industry or developing. Uh, the state of Virginia, the, uh, they call it VITA, uh, V-A-T-I, or V-A-I-T, they just announced this week that they are starting software as a service for all of the agencies in the state of Virginia. Now, whether or not they're going to build the bots or if they're going to use citizen developers in these different departments and have it built locally, they're still going to want to be, in my opinion, like Apple with the iTunes store. They're still going to want to bring all the bots back to their orchestrator. And they're going to want to check them as a part of good, solid software change management. And they're not going to want to deploy just any bot onto the network that could corrupt the network. So there's no reason to think that if you have a good, solid network today and you have good change management, at the end of the day, while I called it George Washington, it's still software. And you should run those rigors of software testing and evaluation with a user acceptance testing exactly the same way. 
No, I think I, I think that's that's a good okay. great explanation for that. So I mean, you talked about the government sector and talked about the private sector. How are you seeing adoption in uh, of this RPA in a government sector versus private sector? And what are the what are the differences have you seen during your? Yeah, time? so it's it's been really interesting to me. Thirty two years in government, the last three or four have been in private sector, and so I always heard when I was in government, oh, the private sector. They're faster, they're more agile, they're more this, they're more that. And what I've learned over the last three and a half years is the only difference is, is they can write a check faster, <laughs> right? In government, because it's a taxpayer's dollar, you want people to be a little slower. You want them to evaluate, is this a shiny toy that we're going to hate next year and we're going to waste $2 million of software? Or is this something that's actually going to bring us efficiencies and effectiveness? Now, I'm going to argue since 93 agencies are using UiPath in 25 states now that they're starting to see it is going to bring them successes. Okay. So, um, yeah. while all this adoption, uh, are there any particular poster child success stories of application of RPN government that you would like to mention over here? Yeah. So, I think if, um, if your audience is interested, go to the um, usda.gov slash RPA. And the USDA publishes all the information about their bots because mm -hmm. they think it's a great program, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you don't see government oftentimes publishing things. You can go to the IRS website. The chief procurement officer of the website wrote an article how she had a task from Congress that mm -hmm. they calculated was going to take them two years to do. They built an automation in two weeks. They deployed that automation over three days and completely finished that work. That's in sure. her article on their website at the IRS. If you're the state uh, or Palm Beach County, Florida, they um, not only are using RPA, but they've coupled it with AI. So that automation solution. And now when court files come in from lawyers at night after they're gone, the RPA bot and the AI bot work together to get it categorized and filed in the right docket. So if there's a court case tomorrow morning that depends on that document, it's there at eight o'clock. That wasn't possible before because at the end of the day, people have budgets and they go home after work and they don't come in until the next work day, but they now have their bots. And if you listen to them on a web webinar I had with them, they are thrilled to have this digital assistant, this digital intern working for them. Sounds wonderful. So, I mean, for any government organization to adopt RPA, uh, how should they prepare themselves? I mean, how should they evaluate various solutions out there in the market? I mean, is there any RPA readiness that they need to be sure of that they are ready for this solution implementation? How, how should they approach RPA if they are doing it for the very first time? Yeah, so we still see um, some some agencies want to do a proof of concept, and, and that is build us something, but don't be on our network and mock up the data just to show it's possible. And so I do suggest to them that we're beyond that. It would be like me coming into your office and saying, I had this word processor to sell you. You really wouldn't ask, what's a word processor and what does it do? You just really want to know is it do something different than what you have. So, I, so what we see happen is an agency says, show us one thing that it can do. And we meet with them. We find a process that's a, a low complexity to build, but high impact if it's done. So people will say, wow, that is neat. Right? But the other thing that we talk to them about is, and we see this a lot, is an agency does wow, and then they're like, okay, what next? So 
a really good way is, is to have your contractor that you already have or to bring in a vendor like UiPath and do an ideation session with your staff and say, this is the criteria for what makes a good automation versus mm -hmm. keep it manual or get the vendor of Oracle or somebody to fix Oracle. It, it's let's do this ideation session and figure out what are the first 30 we would do. And then what's the return on the value of that? Sure. So that they say, oh, okay, if we do these 30 over the course of the next year and a half, our citizens will appreciate government better. Sure. So, I mean, how should they evaluate various RPA solutions out there in the market? I mean, there is UiPath, obviously, one of the largest one, and there's probably Blue Prism, Automation, anyway, there are many. So is there any any unbiased opinion on how should they evaluate? What should they look for? In an yeah, so, my, so of course my biased opinion is just give me a call and we'll help you. But <laughs> what we did at NASA was we um, you know brought in each of the vendors and had them present and we just were able to compare and contrast. What we're seeing okay. also is um, kind of a science fair where an agency says, here's the process we want to automate. You vendors all come in and automate the same process for us. Mm -hmm. And what you'd learn from that is one vendor built it faster, one built it slower, but the slower one put more bells and whistles into it, made it look more realistic. And you'd really get a feeling for what the capability of the software is. Mm -hmm. Right. But the other thing you need to ask yourself, because I do think it's a critical is not just I brought in an RPA vendor, but will that RPA work with my existing AI and ML or am I going to have to replace my existing or okay. if I don't have AI and ML, do they have something so that we can incorporate that? Think automation first and think RPA second. Okay. Okay. So uh, we'll talk, uh, tell us more about a little bit about this automation first mindset. And also, uh, I mean, it, it could be a very naive question, but is there a kind of a POC budget ballpark range that one needs to be having in their pocket to make this a successful experiment? It could be any number, but I mean, and may, you may not be able to give that number, but just ask it. No. So I would suggest that you don't want to pay for one. I suggest okay. that you want to find an, uh, a reputable um, uh, a contractor that says, hey, would you come in and do this? Because if you do a good one, so remember I told you the story about the IRS and the 2000 documents and they built it in two weeks. So I'm not saying that everything can be built in two weeks, but I can build you a lot in a week or a week and a half. Um, Suffolk County, New York, the second largest county in the country, they had nurses who were entering data at the beginning of COVID. They took just under two weeks, built an automation and put the nurses back where the nurses belong. Mm -hmm. uh, the New Jersey court systems couldn't receive any payment for fines during the beginning of COVID. Spent about a week and a half, built an automation. Again, I, I really hesitate to make you think that everything could be built in two weeks, but I can do a pilot for you in a week or two weeks and a good reputable vendor will come in and do that for you to okay. show you the value. Um, UiPath can, you know, and because and you need to see that it works and it works your stuff. I can tell you that we have 93, but you need to see it. Okay. And how, how, what, what are the kind of KPIs or, or the numbers or indicators that will help me figure out if I can get an ROI on my investment or not? Or how should I really measure my ROI? I mean, automation or saving time uh, is one. Are there any other as well? 
Um, yeah, so first of all, in government, there's a tendency not to really talk about return on investment because they're not measuring the dollars. So if I do return on effort, you know, my efforts are going to make government better because today there's 100,000 backlog unemployment claims. Okay. And, and I can get those unemployment claims through the backlog. Or I'm okay. coming out of COVID and I don't have my full staff on duty yet. What if I use a bot and have it augment the staff that is on duty and our citizens can get back to getting service at the speed they got before? Or how can I make it even better by coupling my chat bot? So NASIO, the National Association of CIOs, did a survey and 75% of the states are starting to use chat bots as a result of COVID. Well, you asked about automation first. Chatbots chat. RPA is feet and hands. So the chatbot can tell your RPA bot, go get this file for this person, give it to me so I can share it up to them on the chat. And here's some data that the person just gave me. Go ask the AI to do an analysis and to verify it's this person. Right? Okay. So this, this digital labor with an automation first mindset says, hey, I automated this, but what else can I automate? What more can I do with this to, to make so it better for us? So essentially more facilitated, better, happier citizen, and the, which are essentially the customer of the government is one of the key ROIs that this RPA can provide us, especially in this COVID times when not everyone is back to work and there's a lot of backlog, there's a lot of uh, need to automate. That's what I heard. Yeah, I laughed a couple of years ago. So I had a we had a conference in D.C. and we had the chief procurement officer of the IRS at the time, Harrison Smith. And um, Harrison was on stage talking about RPA. And he said to everyone in the audience, if you don't like the 15x return that we're seeing, you could turn it off. <laughs> you know, so there are procurement people and budget people who look at the true ROI of something. And and I have that up on the UI Pass site on the government site just because it's you, you can't you have to appreciate a government person saying if you don't want to say 15x turn it off i get that so i guess jim this is all very enlightening and we can carry on with that but in the interest of time and making it reasonably short so that everyone can enjoy that their and their commute or whatever i'll come to my last questions is where, where i mean how do you see rpa evolving in the next maybe five years and how you do you see really the public sector evolving with it i mean where the future lies and if they if no if they don't adopt rpa uh what could be the implications or uh, how do you see that sure so uh, where i see it going is i see the ability for me to walk into a government agency and put my driver's license down and a bot pick it up, pull all the information and figure out why I'm even there and getting me to the right person immediately. And when I get to that person, their bot has talked to the AI and the machine learning and pulled all of the information together so that that person that's sitting there has everything about me in a format and a view that they can really sit and say, I know it's after a hurricane, you need some support. You're in a wildfire area and we really need to rezone it and here's what we're looking at. You know, the things that we want from our government, that which is government, unlike business, can't say, I'm not interested in you as a client, go away. So we want to be able to bring these in, but at the same time, we have this urge to not expand government so big that we can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So we, if we are using automation the right way to complement our human workforce, we can level out some of our cost, we can get better benefits, 
We can serve the citizens better. And we can also, at the end of the day, allow the government employee to be a little happier. Because in my 32 years, I've never run into the government employee who wasn't willing to work hard. The work might have been boring. And if I'm at DMV, maybe that's a little different. But I come from a culture where people want to serve the citizens that they're designed to serve. And I'd really like to do that by not spending time on my computer, but working with the citizens. That's wonderful. And I guess uh, with that, we will conclude our today's uh, episode on, on RPA for the public sector. I think we had a very, very great discussion. And I mean, you have enlightened us in many ways. So thank you very much for being with us uh, on this podcast. And I would love to have another session with you uh, to talk more about uh, any particular use cases in the government and other sectors. But Jim, thank you very much for being with us and helping us uh, put together this session and uh, telling us how the RPA can really form the next, uh, can really form the basis of uh, next generation governments, can really create value where citizens are more happier, the government servants who are working there can have more time on their hands to really do uh, more quality work and uh, leave this ordinary mundane work to software robots, uh, which can be automated and which can can pull a lot of guard for them. So thank you very much for being with us on this. Uh, True sort of pleasure. Day. Yes, thanks again for having me and thanks for those that are listening. Thanks for listening to WeatherTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.